If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you doing? I hope you're well and managing the dynamics of this unprecedented time. I got to tell you, I've been having some crazy dreams during this stay at home. Have you guys? It might have been intense. It's like almost every night and I, I wake up around five o'clock in the morning, just like astounded by the dream. Sometimes I can remember it. I seem to be remembering them more and more. And I had one a couple nights ago that I have to share because it was like the themes in it were so amazingly clear. So I was walking down a sidewalk by myself. There was a Bob Marley song playing in my head in the background, which I, I know I had listened to just recently called Don't Rock My Boat. Um, and I don't think I had earbuds in in the, in the uh, dream. It just was like there in the background, present. I thought I was walking through a neighborhood in Brooklyn that I had lived in for 13 years and continued to frequent for work before the pandemic. So I know it well. And I, I turned down a street that was clearly in Brooklyn. And then I realized I was on a street about a block away from my grade school in a Minneapolis suburb. And I took a seat on a bench across from the school and looking over the playground and field where I played as a child. And I had a backpack on and I took it off and set it on the bench next to me on the wooden slats of the bench. And I unzipped the top and looked down and what was inside was infinite space. And I, for some reason, I just knew that that was inside there. So it didn't freak me out. And I had this understanding that I could pull anything out of there I wanted. And as I stared into the darkness of the backpack, the, the song sort of faded into another song. And I believe I was contemplating what I was looking for in there, or I, I knew that I, everything I needed was there and anything I wanted, all my memories, all of my experiences, anything that I wanted or needed was inside the backpack, which physically contained nothing. And with that knowing, I, I zipped my backpack back up and woke up. And, and that dream just kind of stuck with me all day. And I still feel like it has some impact. The, the metaphor was just crazy. So if, if you're experiencing wild dreams like, right now, I'd love to hear yours. My curiosity is if we're going through something collectively, that anything noteworthy that our subconscious is going through together. And uh, I'd love to hear yours. So please send me, a, send me a story by email. You can reach me at jeremy at highway2.health. That's jeremy at highway2.health. And uh, put dream in the subject line so I, I know that that's what's coming at me. And I may share some and, and any patterns that I see from, from going through this. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our lives come to have an effect on our overall state of being. And it is my hope that through the content and conversations you get here, you'll be more engaged and empowered personally and in your communities. 
And I want to give a quick shout out to the new supporters of the podcast. Your dollars are helping us build more resource and a whole community of health support. If you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple of ways. One is financial. You can support the show for as little as $1 a month by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Uh, or you can click the link in the show notes that you're listening to right now on the app and become a supporter right now. The other is by sharing content that we create to help more people become aware of Highway to Health and the resource we provide. And if you're a health professional or involved in a health-related project, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn um, or, or through the contact page of our new website, highway2.health, uh, so that I'm aware of, of the work that you're doing. I'd love to bring you into this community of health improvement influencers. So today's conversation is a first for the podcast. I'm, I'm a part of it, but mostly it's between my 16-year-old son, Phoenix, and Timothy Klein, who was just on the podcast earlier this year, uh, speaking about his work with Project Wayfinder on how to bring purpose into our decision-making and inform our sense of well-being. Phoenix is just about to finish up his junior year of high school, and you know it's a big year for for teenagers You know, with taking college tests, starting to explore colleges and universities. And it's one of the first times in your life where you're starting to think about making some big decisions that could potentially lead, lead you into a, a specific direction. And after talking to Tim last time, I was so impressed by the work he was doing with young adults that I suggested that we show this process. And given my son's willingness and comfort on the mic, I thought it would be you know, both an incredible experience for him and a great way to show just how simple and hugely beneficial this work is around purpose. I think you'll get a lot out of listening to this one as you'll be witness to Tim's work and Phoenix's process as he's taken through a series of questions to help him understand the beliefs he's created around his own abilities and mindset and how this knowledge can help him move forward, adding to the foundations he's already created for himself. This is a very special episode for me to share with you. Please enjoy my conversation with Tim Klein and Phoenix. What is your process then? Just before we kind of get into you talking to Phoenix, how do you how do you usually set this up in terms of talking to parents? And do, how 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 does someone is is it because you're just there as part of resource? Do you have to talk to the parents, or do you usually just speak directly with like teens and college kids? Well, I mean, typically the way I normally do it is just when I was a school counselor in a high school, I'm just talking to kids directly. And now that I'm pivoting to a role where I'm working with families and students, I typically talk to the families first because they're the ones I'm just connected to. Um, But it's typically, I I like starting with the kids actually so I don't get biased at all about like what the parents think they should be doing or what they think their strengths and weaknesses are or anything like that. It's like, it's usually better for me to hear it straight from, from the student. But like the, the, what I do like hearing from parents is like, what are their hopes and dreams and their aspirations for their kids? Like what's most important for them? What are they really worried about? Cause what I need to do is like understand your motivations as a parent, your lived experiences that have impacted that motivation yeah. to see. And then when I talk with Phoenix or another student, it's like, okay, I understand the student's motivation. I'm beginning to understand that. And then I understand the parent's motivation. <laughs> right. are, yeah, they, yeah. are, are, are they aligned? Are they in contrast with each other? Are they butting heads? You know, like how much harmony among the sense of purpose do we have here? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, that's and that's and that's why I wanted to do this. And and you know, I I do work with kids as well, um, in a therapy setting. And a lot of times, the kids that I work with are are younger. Um, anywhere, you know, I mean, I, I work with babies, but uh, and when I start getting kids coming to see me for, you know, more things things that are more related to school stresses or you know challenges with sensory processing, ADD, ADHD stuff. I, I always have the parents there for the first session or two. And then I like to try to start transitioning the parents just outside the door because the minute that that happens, I start getting all sorts of other information from the kids. You know, and it's not exactly. that the, it, it's exactly what you're saying. It's not that the kids um, are, are withholding or it's not that the parents are, are wrong in what they're bringing the kids in for. But I just get another layer of information that I think is super helpful. Yeah, there's like literally tens of thousands of hours of shared experience that are influencing the dynamic of the parent and the student where they just can't engage in this stuff in a way that like a neutral party can. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that being said, I'm, I'm excited for my, my audience knows Phoenix a little bit cause he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but I'm excited to, uh, he, just because he's so good at going through these kinds of things and because he's been such a willing participant. Um, and, and, and I think, I think that he understands too, that there's, there's a lot to learn in this, in this dialogue. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Well, Phoenix, I'm this random dude mm-hmm. on talking to you on this podcast, but I, so my background, like picture me like, uh, for better or worse, a school counselor. So it's just like, my goal is to help you figure out what you want to do in life. And then if I have any resources, tips, strategies, that's what I'm here for. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, just really quickly. Like, so I, the only thing I know about you, you're in junior high school. So what else is important or like what else makes you, you? A, a junior in high school. I'm a junior, junior. in high school. <laughs> what did I just say? Did I say senior? You sorry. said junior high school. I don't know exactly. <laughs> oh, no, <sorry. laughs> uh, okay. Important things about me. Um, I like sports. Sports are fun. I'd say my strong suit when it comes to lang- when it comes to school stuff is math. Pretty good at you know history and geography too. I'd say my weakness is probably English. It's been my weakness. I think I've kind of lived with the fact that it's my weakness. Um, the sports that I play, I play soccer. Uh, I'm pretty energetic, and yeah, I think that's pretty basic. Got it. And wh- what is your relationship with school in general? Um, I find it very important. I have a good relationship with school, I guess is the best way to put it. I have pretty good grades. I got nice test scores. I think I'm, I'm on the pathway to college. That's for sure. Awesome. Okay. And so, okay. You said school is important. So what does that mean? Like, or why is it important? Well, I think I find school important because it kind of sets me up for the future. High school is kind of like the, the break in the road. You can take multiple paths. And if you take the wrong one, you might be stuck in a dead end. So I kind of made sure that I picked the right path so I could find a college that I want to go to. Got it. All right. Tell me about that path. Well, let's see. I got, again, I have pretty good scores. So I think I want to stay in state, probably live with my parents, probably going to stay here, go to the U of M or something like that. That's probably, Mm -hmm. that's my big goal. Go to the U of M. I have my heart set on that. Okay. Why I so and like I don't know I'm from the East Coast originally mm-hmm. I know University of Minnesota is a big school but mm-hmm. like yeah tell me why you have your heart set on it. Well, I think 
I guess I have a really good relationship with my family. My parents have offered me to stay at home. Might as well take the opportunity. I mean, it seems like a pretty good option to just stay at home. Another big thing is that, like, I don't want to go out of state because college is a lot of money. And mm -hmm. if you stay in state, it's usually cheaper. So, I mean, I always try to, because, I mean, my mom has been dealing with college debt. So, I mean, I've seen the situation that they've gone through. So I'm kind of just, like, trying my best to keep it low because I know I might have to deal with it for the rest of my life. Got it. Yeah, what what have you seen or, like, how have you seen debt impacts your family? It, it's a big stressor, that's for sure. I've seen, because, of course, my family has a mortgage. My parents have some credit card debt. Um, again, my mom has college debt. I don't think my dad does. I don't, I mean, I've never heard him talk about it. My mom recently graduated. That's why we moved here because she mm. became an accountant. So yeah, it's become a pretty, it's not something that I hear all the time, but I feel like it's always looming in the back, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you remember like when the idea of debt got on your radar? Were you like in ninth grade? Was it earlier than that? Like, do you remember I think I think it was probably ninth grade because that's when we bought the house. And that's when I slowly started to figure out, you know, like what mortgages are, how college works. I'd say, yeah, the beginning of high school. And then I realized kind of how credit cards work at that time, too. So, I mean, it was kind of that time period. Yeah. OK, so you're in ninth grade. You mm -hmm. moved to Minnesota. Your mom's going back to school. That's a big financial obligation. Yeah, my mom. mortgage. Mm -hmm. OK. That's a big, so you're, you're just seeing like money is playing a bigger, bigger role. Yeah. I'm wondering if you were to like zoom back and look at ninth grade Phoenix, mm -hmm. like what, what impact do you think the mortgage, the, the college debt, like how did that impact that ninth grade Phoenix? I don't think it impacted me too much personally because I'm not paying the mortgage. I'm just, I'm going to school. It's not my concern. Of course, it's the family's concern, but personally, I'm not the one paying for it. And when it comes mm. to college debt, again, I, it's, it's a long ways away for me. In ninth grade, at least, I had four years. Plus, I think, again, yeah, it just wasn't that big of a deal at the time. I'm just wondering, did it, like, impact your – like, it didn't impact you personally because, like, like no. you said, you didn't have to pay for it. Mm -mm. But did it impact – like your motivation for the future or your goals for the future or how you looked at school. Like, I'm just wondering if it influenced your perception on things at all. Yeah, I think it did. I think seeing how much college is, I think I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go to this place and to that place. You know, my horizons were wide. I looked at almost, it almost seemed like I could go to any college. But then mm -hmm. when you look at like the costs and things, you could look at like Harvard or like Princeton. Those colleges are really expensive. And I think when it comes to stuff like that, I have to look back and I have to realize, can me and my family really afford to pay off such a debt like this? Or should I probably consider going somewhere else that might be a little cheaper? Mm -hmm. All right. So you had this, you, it, usually you had this idea of like, oh, I could go out and do anything. Mm -hmm. Then you realize it sounds like, you know, reality kind of influenced saying, oh, like I need to take into account financial considerations. Definitely. So like, so what, what are those future goals that you have given that? Like, how are you thinking about the future? Well, I think the future for me is just going to college. I don't know mm -hmm. exactly what I'm going to do in college. I think, obviously, I've had ideas throughout the years, but they've changed. One year I want to be this. The next year I want to be something else. This year I have no idea. <laughs> mm. 
give me some examples. What other things in the past you were thinking about doing? Well, again, my mom has always thrown up the idea of how I'd be a good accountant. And she's talked about that a lot because, you know, she said, you're good at math. You're able to do math really quickly. And my mom's not really a math person, but she became an accountant anyways. And since she has first person experience, she knows what you need to be an accountant. So she thinks that I'd be pretty good at that. There was a time period when I was interested in meteorology. That's kind of past, though. So, I mean, my interests change. So, yeah, those are the two what, what, was, what was interesting about meteorology? I, and again, I know very little about meteorology. So <laughs> treat me like, like a second grader here. Okay, well, I didn't look into it too much. It, it didn't last that long. But I will say I just found the patterns interesting, I guess. And I kind of saw intrigue and prediction, maybe predicting what mm. the weather might be. Again, it was a short-lived phase, but it was an interesting one. I've learned some things that I had no idea about, that's for sure. So you were looking at like barometric pressures and you were saying, oh, based on this yeah, historical right. evidence, I can predict that. What What is interesting? Like, I, I get that, but like, what can you give me a little bit more? Like, why is that interesting to you? Or what is it about that that you find so intriguing or did in the past? Maybe I just find intrigue to numbers. I think that might be it. Because you kind of see, when you look at maps and stuff like that, of course, you see the radar maps, right? But you also mm -hmm. got, like, those pressure maps. And those, you know how, like, they say fronts and stuff like that. And they got those nifty little animations that show the front coming in. But really, when they look at a map like that, they're looking at something different. They're not looking at the nifty little animation swooping across the Midwest. Right. <laughs> what are they looking at? Uh, it... It it almost looks like when you play golf, it shows like the height or like how tall the height of like the hills and stuff like that, almost like which parts are higher than other parts. So it almost shows like a depth chart of wind, which parts are the most windiest, which parts are the least. Got it. Okay. So I'm really interested by this idea. So you said I'm interested in numbers. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to ask a simple question that might be hard to answer, but like, yeah. what is it about numbers that are so interesting to you? I think it's just natural for me. I think I've always found natural ease in doing math. I learn really fast when it comes to math. So, I mean, I think that's also pretty nice. I think it's just the, the ease of doing things with math is something that's intrigued me. And also realizing that with such ease, I could do things. And after I graduate, that could involve math. Got it. Okay. So the ease of math is something that's, that's of interest to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that makes sense to me. Can you remind me again, what are the sports that you play? Uh, the big one I've been playing is soccer. Soccer is the okay. big one. And what position do you play in soccer? I play goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. Okay. And how easy or hard is it to be goalkeeper? Well, I'm, I'm pretty big. I'm a, I'm a tall person, so I think that makes it a little easier to be a goalie, considering how the goals are eight feet tall. It's also, I'm, I'm also kind of fast. I have pretty fast reactions, I might say. And I think with kind of when it comes to goalkeeping, you got to be quick on your feet. And I think when you're quick on your feet like that, it makes it the job a little easier. Is being a goalkeeper easy? That seems incredibly stressful to me. It's like that's a lot of responsibility. You know, the stress does get to me sometimes. I won't say there are some goalkeepers that I know that have hearts of steel. They don't. The pressure never gets to them. Of course, there are sometimes. Obviously, the pressure does get to me. I get nervous sometimes, but I think. I don't get nervous about the ball of like soccer. I get nervous of my lack of skill because <laughs> sometimes there are just some things that I'm better at than others. And, 
you know, like corners. I'm, I'm not the best at corners, but when it comes to one-on-ones, I feel more confident about it. Plus, if I mess up on a one-on-one, I wasn't supposed to win anyways. So it's almost like this, the, the game's already stacked against me when it comes to a one-on-one. Hmm. I, so I'm hearing two things that are kind of like connected to me. So it's like in math, it's like it's easy for you. Hmm. I'm wondering, is there a difference between you, something coming easy to you versus you being confident in whatever you're doing? Does that question make sense? I get it. I think uh, now that you bring it up, it is probably confidence. I have confidence in my skills in math. It's always easy to me. So I think with that in mind, I've gained confidence in math. And when you do it to soccer, you could say the same thing. I have confidence in my skills to save a penalty, though I don't always. I always have a pretty good chance. Mm-hmm. Has math actually always come easy for you? You've always just gotten it without ever putting in any effort? In New York when I was younger, I was pretty pretty bad at reading, I will admit. And I was always in the highest math. The In New York, in my class, there were... We had a class, and only three students were in the highest math. Me, some boy, I forgot his name, and another girl. Us three always got a different paper than everyone else, and it was always harder than what the normal students got. And I think mm. I think from the get-go, that's how it was. I was kind of put into the higher math. And when I moved to Minnesota, I realized that what I was learning in the advanced math was the same as what people in Minnesota were learning in normal math. So it kind of took me a while to adjust, but I've gotten back to the advanced math. And I think it's just because I feel confident in my skills. Wait, so how did you adjust then? So, so it got more difficult in Minnesota. So mm-hmm. what, did, what did you do? Because you're saying you went from normal math to advanced math in Minnesota. So you progressed? Yeah, I think, again, I, I said earlier, I think I'm a, re- I'm a pretty fast learner when it comes to math. I, I almost become sometimes, not often, but sometimes I become a teacher to other students. I've learned things pretty fast in math. I think it's just because of my confidence. And I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain a little no, bit No, it makes sense to me. It's, it sounds like to me, it's like, you know, we all have these different identities. So it's like, mm-hmm. you're a Phoenix, you're a son, you're a soccer player, you're a mathematician, you're a Minnesotan. Like, we all have these different identities. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like to me, your identity in math, you're like, I am good at math, right? Mm-hmm. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, that's right. So. So I'm so like so you have this perception like I am good at math and I'm curious does that make you work harder in math or does it make you work less hard cuz I could see it going either way I think when it comes to the math sometimes I work I don't think I work less but I think I work with less stress I work with more ease cuz usually cuz of course I always double check my work regardless of if I if I almost guarantee it's right I usually double check my work But I think Mm -hmm. with me knowing where I land in terms of my skill, I think I can say I enter, I do math homework with more calm, more ease, more confidence than, let's say, an English paper. Okay, tell me. Okay, we're going to come back to that. That's super interesting. So tell me how you work through an English paper. Well, I think with English, it's kind of, it's always different because with math, you got numbers, you got rules. You put the numbers in the rules and it works. In English, there are also rules, like grammar rules. But the way that you word things is really important. The order of your words when it comes to English is super important. And I've just, I've kind of gone colloquial with my writing. Always, I kind of always write the way that I speak. 
And I think, uh-huh. and I think that's become an issue sometimes. And then when I realize that, oh, I'm writing to, I'm writing as if I speak, I try to, I overdo it. And then I try to use too many big words. And pretty much it's just a shift between writing as if I'm talking and writing as if I'm trying to be a smart aleck. One, incredible use of colloquial in just a casual conversation. So bonus points for that. Mm -hmm. But uh, so so tell me, so like, let's say hypothetically, Mm -hmm. you are in English, you're Mm -hmm. working on an assignment and you get to a part where it's like stuck or you don't know how to structure something, but you, you come to a challenge in an English assignment, like what goes through your head at that point or what happens? Sometimes what I like to do is I like to take a break. If I'm stuck on something and if it's like a homework assignment, I kind of take a break. I go do something else and I come back with maybe a cooler head or maybe I've done something else and then I come back with like a fresh mindset. That's something I like to do. So before that though, so like, so you said with a cooler head. So it's like you get, what's the emotional state? What's the emotional reaction when you get frustrated in English? I don't think I get upset. Maybe I'm just, I just feel lost, I think. Because sometimes when I'm writing an essay, I'm just like, I, I kind of get stuck because I put myself in a situation where I'm just typing and typing. But then after I reach a certain point, I don't know where to carry it on from there. I don't know uh-huh. where to go. So I think when it comes to stuff like that, I usually, sometimes I reread what I wrote, just trying to maybe come up with some new ideas to take the story somewhere else. Or if I'm mm-hmm. going based off a book, like if I'm writing an essay, I might look at a section of the book or maybe reread a section of it just to kind of refresh my head and see where I was trying to go with my argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, like, you know how we have this, like, inner voice in our head? It's like us, but it's not us. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. chirping. Mm-hmm. So, like... When you, what is that inner voice or that inner dialogue? What is that saying when you're at that point in English where you're like at that moment where you're stuck and you don't know what to do? Like, what's that inner voice say? Not again. That's what it's <laughs> okay, saying. Okay, so what, what does that mean? Not again. What does that mean? I feel like some, some English assignments are f- pretty easy, very, very straightforward. I kind of, when it comes to my classes, I planned it out where I take an easier English and a harder math and a harder science I, I, I really make sure that when it comes to my high school schedule, I plan it out so that I really improve my skills that I'm good at and try to make sure that the skills that I'm not the best at aren't detrimenting my grades and my scores and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But so what does not again mean? What does that mean? I think it's just not again is like I it happens a lot. I have to admit it's just like I don't I've never had a fondness for English, I think. I, I, when I was younger, I had to do speech classes. I get pulled out of class and I'd go to this special class and we'd practice our speech. I was always an outgoing kid, but it's just like I couldn't read for my life. You know, when we, when we were in elementary school, we had a rating system of A to Z. And when I was in first or maybe kindergarten, I was at double A. So when you open the book, there was only one word each page. And I think it was always a weakness of mine. So I think every time I open an English assignment, I just assume the worst because I haven't been the best at it, you know? Right, right, right. That makes it so. So like in math, you have this identity. I'm very good at math. 
I have a lot of confidence there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in English, it's a much different identity. It sounds like to me. Yes. Would I'm you? Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so like just to bring it back. So you're doing a writing assignment mm-hmm. and it's like, as soon as you get stuck, that inner dialogue starts chirping again. Here we go again. This is another sign that I'm bad at English. Why, you know, like all of that inner narrative, I'm wondering that like, what percentage of your brain capacity or your brain is taken up by that inner dialogue that you're hearing in that moment? I think a lot. I have to admit, I think it's a lot. I usually turn to myself when it comes to situations that I'm stuck in. Of course, I always, I turn to my parents, but sometimes when, when usually when it comes to homework, I do homework myself. My parents know that I'll get it done regardless. They don't have to worry about it. So when it comes to stuff like that, I usually just turn to myself and yeah, I think it takes up a lot because then I kind of lose determination because I was like, ugh, stuck on this English assignment. Like sometimes like, yeah, no, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I was, I was just affirming you. I was like, that totally makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like sometimes it's just like I feel like I can't find the thing in the book. We usually get study guides and there are questions for each chapter. And sometimes it's just I can't find it. I don't know why I could spend 30 minutes on it and I don't find it. Uh-huh. And so, so like what percentage of your brain is taken up by like all of that inner self-talk? Is it 30 percent, 50 percent, 70 percent? Like what percentage do you think? I'd say more than 50, maybe like 55, 50, something like that. OK, 50, 50 percent of your brain capacity is just that dialogue. Right. Yeah. So let's go back. Let's go back to math for a second. Mm-hmm. So like let's say you're doing math and you experience like you get to a problem that just doesn't really come super easy to you or there is some challenge there mm-hmm. what what do you do in that situation well i think when it comes to math and i get stuck on a problem usually what i do is i look at past problems because mm-hmm. usually what how the math textbook works it's like a build-up and sometimes the, i might have missed some wording like we're learning about matrices right now and that's kind of difficult i will admit but I got stuck on a problem, but, and then I realized I just had to reread because I kind of skip the words sometimes because it seems like the math is pretty easy. So I kind of skip words sometimes, but then I came across this thing I just didn't get. I go back and then there was a paragraph that I missed and then I read the paragraph and then I realized what was going on and then I can solve the math problem. Got it. Okay. And that sounds like a great strategy. What's the emotional response to that? Like when you get to that problem where you get, you, you hit a roadblock. Yeah. What's the emotional response from you? Uh, usually I think for a second, I'm like, Hmm, I'm, I must've missed something. There must've been something that I missed. Maybe it was like, Oh, this letter means that, or, Oh, there's this rule. Because usually what happens in the math textbook is when they talk about the rule, the next question, usually you have to apply the rule that they talked about. Uh huh. So I think it's kind of like, I don't feel like, oh, no, not this again. I kind of feel like, hmm, I must have missed something. And then I just go back and usually I'll figure it out after I read it again. Okay. That, okay. And so, what, but, and so what's the emotional response? Is there one? Is there any sort of like positive or negative emotion? Or like, yeah, what is the emotional response? I guess I feel a little confused because I missed it. But other than that, there's not too big of an emotional response. Got it. Okay. And so... And then back to this question of, you know, the, the inner dialogue, that inner, the inner hater in your head, Mm -hmm. like, like how much of your brain is taken up by that inner dialogue when you're in a math setting where you have a problem you don't know the answer to? 
I talk to myself a lot, but when it comes to the inner hater, uh, that person doesn't really take up too much of my head. I what per, what percent do you think? I I could say maybe even ten, and it seems it's pretty low, ten twenty. What do you think about all this? Or like, do you see do you see what I'm seeing right here? Or yeah, yeah. What are, what are you seeing? I'm seeing that I have confidence in my skills when it comes to math because I've always had it, and when it comes to English. I haven't been able to really build it up because of what happened in my past in New York and how I had to be set aside because I was that bad at English. Right. And do you know why you were set aside in English? Has, has that been, you know, you know what? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I think I don't think there was like one reason why I was set aside. I think it was a culmination of my my lack of reading skills. I almost got held back because of my my lack of English. You know, and I think because of that, I didn't know at the time, obviously. My parents didn't tell me in first grade, Phoenix, you might be getting held back because you're bad at English. But I think after they've told me that maybe in like ninth grade that I was almost held back in first, second, I think maybe third too. But I was almost held back because of my English. But thankfully, the teacher stopped and reassured my parents that I'd be okay. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's super interesting. And I, I think what I'm hearing is, um, so I hear this. So to me, it's like you have this identity that's been formed, and it's this belief system about what you're good and what you're not good at. And it sounds like to me, in math, you believe you're good at math, and that causes you to work harder. And then what happens is that because you have this belief that as long as you can put in the effort, you're going to be able to learn the material. When you when you um, experience some sort of problem or, or there's a question you don't know the answer to, what, uh, you experience this as an opportunity. What do I mean by that? Or does that make sense? Yeah, I see it as an. It's like an opportunity to learn. I guess is how I view it. When I see right, it, yeah, you go go ahead. I should stop interrupting you because yeah, <laughs> spit the I, wisdom here. I'm I'm like eating this up right now. So I think. Ahead. I think when I when I come across something like that, I think I view it as an opportunity to learn because it's probably a rule that I forgot. And then usually what I do is, oh, I forgot that rule, write it in my notebook. And then usually rather than having to go back through the book and look for that one equation, I have it written down on my notebook so I can just look at my notebook and do the math that I need to do. Mm -hmm. So it's an opportunity to grow and get better. And mm -hmm. I'm guessing math would actually be pretty boring if you didn't have those opportunities. That's true. I think it would be. Uh, and so, and then, but in English, where you don't have the identity, where you're like, I'm not good at English, when you experience a challenge, when you experience a problem you don't know the answer to, it sounds like to me, you experience it as a threat. Now, what do you think I mean by threat? When I think, when I think of threat and English, I feel like it's a threat to how I am, I guess is an interesting way to put it. Because, oh, look at me, I can't get this English problem. It's a threat to how my hard work in English isn't paying off. That's kind of how I see it when you bring up something like a threat. Yeah, man, it's like a threat. It's a threat to reinforce an identity that you probably don't feel great about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and, and another way to think about this is that like in math, Math is in your control. It sounds like to me that um, as long as you're put, willing to put in the work, you know that as long as you're willing to work hard, you can solve any math problem put in front of you. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And it, it would sound like to me, though, in English, like you, there is some doubt and uncertainty where it's like you might be presented with an essay or something. And like, even if you put in all the work in the world, you don't know if you can actually become a great writer. That's true. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in your mouth here. So like, say, Tim, you're totally off on that. But like, no, it's know, actually seem, it seems pretty spot on, actually. I think it's just I have the confidence that when I finish my math homework, I know I did it right. You, I could look back and check. I can do this. I can do that. But with an English essay, I don't know how well I did. You know, I could say, oh, this is pretty good. But in the eyes of the teacher, it could be a pretty bad essay. I have no idea. <laughs> right. Wait, so how do you know in math, though, if you're like, how do you know if you've done it all right? Do you have the answers in front of you? Is it like you always know? There's an answer what, key in the back of the Answer book. key in the back of the book. I always check God. after I'm done with the problem. I look back. Usually I do it right. Sometimes when I don't do it right, I go back to the problem. And rather than just write in the answer, I do it again. And just to see maybe I messed up on something. Mm. Could you apply that principle to writing at all, do you think? Well, unfortunately, when it comes to English, there's no answer key in the back of the book. I wish there was. That'd make things a lot easier, especially when it comes to an essay. I don't know any answer key to write an essay. I'm sure there's stuff online, but my teacher probably has standards set in place that aren't universal around the world of writing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, um... Well, so one thing, just one thing that's very practical for you to know. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever, so when you go off to college, have you ever heard of the writing center? No, I have not. So when you go off to college, they have this thing called either the academic center or the writing center. And check this out. You can go in mm-hmm. for any paper, submit your paper, and you will get someone to edit that paper for you and to give you feedback on it. And you can actually do that as many times as you want before you actually submit a paper in to be graded in a college-level course. That's a thing? Yeah. I had no idea. (laughs) No? No, absolutely not. (laughs) So also, so I'm a, I'm a, uh, just like, like I'm a writer or like an aspiring writer. So I'm, I'm working on a book. And so Mm -hmm. in my head, I pictured when I was, when I was writing, I pictured like, I read all these authors, I read these great articles, and it's beautiful writing. And in my head, I pictured like they do it in one draft. And then I've been going through this writing process and putting in a proposal, and I've realized that like I've had to do 10, 15, 20 rewrites of the same paper to get that finished product that I'm looking for. So um, I don't know if that's helpful at all, but uh, No, yeah. yeah. I think the, the thing that you brought up, the writing center, I have never been told that. Never has anyone ever told me that that exists. My parents haven't told me. No teachers have told me. We do peer editing, but we don't even do that for every essay. I just got an essay in English, four pages long, and we have to write a scene, a fictional scene. Now, of course, it's not due for a while, and we have to turn in a few rough drafts. But I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to write about. I'm sure I'll come up with something. And because I have so much time, I think it can be good. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, I will have no idea. I can follow the rubric and I can try to do my best with following the rubric. But even when you follow the rules, sometimes you might break them. 
Mm. It sounds like to me you really like like concrete rules and like you need, you like knowing exactly what you need to be doing and having clear objectives. Am that's, I understanding that right? That's true. My parents have also noticed that out of me. When it comes to a day, they're like, I always ask them, so what are we going to do today? And when they say, I don't know, I'm kind of like, great. Okay. So this could be, I could be blindsided by something. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. So, well, so that's a good, interesting thought. So I, well, I have this question for you mm-hmm. where it's like, imagine a world, I want you to imagine a different world we live in where imagine you, imagine you have a math mindset in anything that you do in the world, meaning you have the innate ability to be successful. You're going to put in the work. You're going to be successful in anything that you do. And I want you to imagine a world in which you can do anything in the world after high school knowing that you're going to be financially secure, you're going to be successful, and your family, your friends, and society will support you in whatever that is. So, like, I know that seems like a big stretch right now, but, like, given all those rules where whatever you do, it's going to work out, what pops into your head about what you think you might want to do? Or does anything pop into your head? Hmm. I think what pops into my head is I don't know. Mm. That's what pops into my head because obviously there are plenty of options. I could say I want to be a professional soccer player, but personally, I know that's not going to work out. <laughs> so I've always had yeah. the I've always had a slight fondness to almost like the culmination of two things that I've always had interest in: business and sports. And okay, I, tell me I, more about that. I think I've always had intrigue in it because ever since my mom brought it up one time, she's like, "Yeah, you know, there are people in." My I, my mom has like a friend who does accounting for the Minnesota Timberwolves and mm-hmm. he gets to like go to a bunch of games and gets to do their accounting. And I, I don't know, I find that pretty cool. But when my mom brought that idea up, I was like, I don't know, it was pretty crazy. I was like, yeah, that that's a thing I can do. Huh. I forgot about that. <laughs> what did you forget about? I just, like sports and math at the same time or mixing them together? I just always thought that, you know, when, when the first thing that I think of sports, you think of the players on the court or the players on the field. You don't think of the people behind the scenes. They're important. In fact, they might be more important than putting the team together. But the people that get all the spotlight are the people on the floor. So obviously when a kid thinks about sports, the only thing they're thinking about are the people on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you. So actually, in when I went to college, I was a sports media and marketing major. Mm. And so, yeah, so something you might want to look into, there are programs where you can look into sports business as a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom has said I'm always good at been at like managing groups. I don't know if that's because of my outspokenness or if that's because of my just like ability to like control a group and set things up. But my mom said... I don't know. I think I think there's something called sports management. I don't know if that's a thing, though. It is. It totally is. Hmm. Okay. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the business of sport. You can take any sort of skill. You know what I was thinking in my head when you were talking mm-hmm. is, have you noticed that are there people that you know who have the mindset, like your writer's mindset, but it's in math where they're telling themselves they're bad at math and they're not trying? Like, Are you seeing that happening with your peers at all? Oh, 100%. I think the best class to look into is my Spanish class. It's quite difficult. 
And I think it is the most difficult class I'm taking right now by far. So I think when it comes to a class like that, people walk in already being told by students of the past. We already, we already got insight. People have told us this class is hard. It's going to be hard. So I think already walking into the first day, even though we haven't done anything, we already knew it was going to be hard because of what people have told us. So I think with that mindset, people already are kind of like down. There are some people who are like, I'm going to get through it. But there are, there are not a lot of them, I will admit. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. Have you ever, So what you're talking about is something in education called a fixed mindset, mm-hmm. where it's like you, you yeah. believe that you have a certain – have you heard of fixed mindset before? Definitely. People have oh, fixed mindsets on certain things. But yeah, I definitely heard of it. And so have you, and again, this is just an idea from a random dude who you just met 30 minutes ago, but have you ever thought about potentially, what if you were a math teacher who was teaching kids with a fixed mindset about how they, they could become better at math and to develop a growth mindset in math? And that might be a horrible idea, but have you ever thought about that before? I think that's what the mindset that my math teacher has. I think he, he is, he does he does go pretty fast, I will admit, but I think he has the mindset that every student can understand it. And I think those teachers, they're the best teachers that I know. I think that's mm. certainly a guarantee. I've had some great teachers in the past. I've had, I still have good relationships with those teachers in high school. I don't have all of my favorite teachers anymore. But I think there are some teachers that stand out as those who, who liked me, who had confidence in their students, and enjoyed what they did. And I think when it comes to teachers like that, those are the best out of them all. Mm. And how would it feel for you? Like, would it be like, would you like the idea? Have you ever thought about you yourself becoming one of those teachers? I have. I actually have. But one thing that has always stopped me, I've always thought about it because, you know, I I like to talk a lot. It's what I do. I think teaching, teaching requires a lot of talking. But I think seeing a first hand of how the teachers are discussing contracts with the state, they're not very great. I think mm. they're just not, they're not good. I think that that's a real holding back of a lot of students, I think. Financial stability is a really big deal to me. I want to make sure mm-hmm. I can support myself and if I have a family in the future, then my family. I just don't think that teaching is the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. Totally noted. Yeah, you got to be able to pay your bills. So that that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. And just something for you to look into, like, and I'm not trying to convince you to be a teacher, but you, if, if, it's something you, if it's something that you were like, if I could make a healthy living and support my family by being a teacher, mm-hmm. if that's something you would consider, mm-hmm. um, teacher salaries vary a lot state by state. So mm-hmm. I live in Massachusetts where that's one of the highest paying districts in the country. And the nice part, you being a statistics person, you can actually go look at the salaries, average salaries for every state, every school district, any public, that's all public data. Mm-hmm. So you can actually go look for that information out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston Public Schools, do you want to guess what the average salary is for, uh, for a teacher? Well, I know around here, it seems like it seems like seventy, eighty k. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go eighty thousand dollars. That's that's my yeah. Guess. It's like it's like, that's a good guess. It's like ninety five thousand dollars. That's the so, average. That's the average. Yeah. 
Wow. I think when you yeah. look at that, when I look at the chart, I think a teacher that has a high degree and has 20 years of experience, I think the maximum was like 99,000. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's insane. You, that is so impressive to me that you've gone and looked at this, the pay scales of teachers. That's amazing. I remember so. numbers pretty well, I will admit. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I want to think about the future now because like financial stability, super important to you. It mm-hmm. sounds like you like to know what you're doing. You don't like uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like how are you handling the idea of going and spending a lot of money to go to college and all the uncertainty given everything that's what's happening right now? Like what? how are you thinking about the future? I think it's a little blurred right now, I will admit. I think – because of what's happened, what we're in right now, I think I'm more focused on the here and the now than I really have ever been. Because mm. when it comes to school, I usually focus on the deadlines. And of course, it's not only the deadlines, but the end of the year, the end of my high school, and the future. But because of the situation that I am, I am in, we're all in. I can't really see my friends. I can't really do anything. I'm kind of stuck in my house. And I think because of that, I'm kind of just stuck thinking about what's going on right now. And if I'm going to be honest, not too much is going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just kind of stuck with your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so, yeah, well, one, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. Or like if your motivation for school is being impacted, it's like, I think everyone's motivation is being impacted right now. So mm-hmm. just be aware of that. Um, yeah. And I just think for here, for like giving you practical advice for the future and how to be thinking about it is, um, are you like following along with, with the, the news and what's happening and everything? Or like, are you trying to stay out of it? Like how engaged are you? And I'm not saying you should be engaged. I'm just curious. Like, are you following along with it at all? I think the person, I think I'm following it. I'm following it. Yeah. I'm not completely avoiding it. I follow it. I check it every now and then. My mom checks it all the time. So she's the kind of person that checks it all the time. But I follow it, um, you know, I check it daily. You know, I kind of, I wake up, do some things and then, all right, oh, okay. How many cases are in Minnesota? And then, okay, that's pretty low. So that's pretty cool. Okay, what homework do I have? Okay, that's cool. Uh, Okay, then I kind of move on to what's, what's going on with the country? What's going on? Oh, Florida's opening their beaches. Oh no, that's that's not good. That's right. not what I that's not what I was expecting. Uh-oh, Georgia's opening up a bunch of stores. Oh boy. Okay, that's also not good. Uh what about Minnesota? Oh, they're they're doing nothing. We're staying home. Fantastic. Right, right. So, I think what you should, could do, which could feel productive and insightful at the same time, is I would look at this whole global pan- pandemic through the lens of data and math and information. Since like that's where your head is already. Mm-hmm. So I would be like, I, for you, I think it might be interesting to get curious about what is the role of big data and information in informing the news, informing policy, informing what is happening in the world and how are we perceiving about what's happening? I think it um, has a big effect actually because when you look at stuff like what's going on with the coronavirus, they have, they have, like, they have like futures, like how they expect this thing to go. And I think without those futures and only the mindset of, okay, here and now, I think we wouldn't be as freaked out because I think when we have the scale of like, oh, if we don't do anything, we're going to get 
millions upon millions of cases and hundreds of thousands of deaths. If we didn't know that, then we wouldn't be freaking out. We'd only be freaking out when we reach a bunch of cases. So I mm -hmm. think when it comes to making plans, you know, making people stay at home, closing schools, I think without data that can predict for what might happen, I think we'd be in a completely different situation right now. Yeah, you know what, to me and what you just said right there, it's like, it kind of sounds like you're getting drawn to the predictive nature of analytics mm -hmm. in the same way you were when you were thinking about meteorology, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And, and so like my recommend, and again, I'm just some random dude you've met, mm -hmm. but my recommendation for you would be to like, uh, do a deep dive into those future, those futures. So it's like, how are they, how are they predicting? What numbers are they using? Where are they pulling that data? What are, what's the software that they're using? Can you like, can you get curious? Can you use that software? Can you start doing forecasting? And you know, I mean, you can do as much of a deep dive as you want to, but get really, really curious about what you think is having the biggest impact or is the most essential part and get curious about how are they using this data? Because I see a world in which if you could go out and be pursuing that stuff, that's something you actually could apply to sports analytics if you wanted to later down the line. Mm -hmm. Does that, does, does that make sense? Or what do you think I mean by that? I think I, I get what you're getting at, but when you brought up like futures and stuff like that, actually me and my mom, I've, I've recently gained an interest in the stock market and the stock market is just a bunch of numbers. So I think that's kind of something I've slowly gained interest in. And I think when I look at those stock market numbers, you can scroll down and you can see like, here are their earnings per quarter. And there's an estimate, right? I don't know how, come, mm -hmm. how they come up with this estimate, but there's an estimate. And based off of a company missing or making that estimate, that could decide how much money people get paid or how people react to the stock. Because if you miss that estimate, the stock drops. If you exceed the estimate, the stock goes up. And I think the idea that this is all based off of some prediction is kind of crazy to me. Tell me more about that. I think it's just like it, there's no guarantee. Like maybe the prediction is wrong. Maybe the prediction was wrong from this from the get go. Maybe they messed up and it's too high. But it doesn't matter because even if it was at the set point and they miss it, people are going to react like, "Oh no, the company's doing something wrong." What went wrong? Also, there's also like when you look at stocks, I think you can also see how people react to events. You know, with the recent pandemic and stuff like that, stocks dropped a lot. People were concerned about how the economy would hold up, how how their lives would change, etc. People call it fear. I think I think it was probably fear, let's be honest. So I think the predictions were all thrown out of whack because of that fear. And all the predictions mm -hmm. changed. I remember seeing predictions drop. Companies who say, oh, you could buy or sell this stock. A lot of buys were turning into holds and then were turning into panics and sells. And a lot of people panic sold. And I think I always kind of figured out, I've always kind of found interest in like, why, why are those predictions so high? Why are people freaking out? It's all just like these predictions. They mm -hmm. think something's going to happen. It might not happen. It might happen. But you don't know. Yeah. I'm hearing... So... Yeah, I can just hear how much that fires you up, actually. And so I would say, I don't know... Here's how I would be thinking about the future for you. Is mm -hmm. like, one... Well, one, 
it's okay that everything is dark right now. One, no 17 year old, are you 17? Uh, I'm actually 16 right now. Oh my God, okay. No, <laughs> no 16 year old should know what they wanna do in life. It just doesn't, you haven't had enough lived experiences, you haven't been outside of high school, you shouldn't know what you wanna do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for an example of that, we're on a podcast right now, your dad is a podcast host. When he was a 16 year old, podcast didn't exist so it's like you know like the world that you were going to enter into you could be doing something that you can't even perceive of right now Mm -hmm. what i would be doing though so like since you don't know what you want to do if we're making bets in the future you want to be going somewhere where it has the most opportunities that you're interested in so what i would do if your heart is set on university of minnesota to me it really sounds like you're interested in um mathematics in general so i would say like what math do they have at that school it does sound like to me you're interested in education so i would see like what opportunities to learn in education do they have and then it also it sounds like you're into business and business management and economics as well mm-hmm. and so i have you done a deep dive into like the different um areas of study and the d- different schools that they have at univer- uh, university of minnesota you know what? I kind of, I actually haven't, but this would be the perfect time. Let's be honest. I got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, because you just want to go in and say, like, does it have three out of four of the things that I'm interested in, or does it have two out of four, or one out of the four? Because you might go and think you want to do predictive analytics or economics, and then you go and do it, and it's not your cup of tea, and you just want to be able to make sure that it has a whole lot of options so you can pivot if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to me, hopefully that reduces the uncertainty you're feeling. Cause like, yeah, you don't know what you want to study, but you know, university of Minnesota has five different things you're potentially interested in. And mm-hmm. you're just going to try them one, one thing at a time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I think the second big thing I would want to leave you with is just to really be aware and challenge your identity about your ability to be a good writer. Because I've mm-hmm. actually done a lot of research on the science of peak performance. And outside of, um, there's research by Anders Ericsson. So you can look up, he's, he, all he does is research peak performance. And so basically outside of innate speed and strength. So basically how tall you are Mm -hmm. um, and how strong and fast you are outside of that, there's no other measure of innate ability in any other domain, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I think what's happening with writing is you have this belief that was kind of given to you by a messed up education system telling you you're not good at writing. And so you're like, well, I'm not good at writing, so I'm not going to work as hard at writing because I'm not good at it. And because I'm not working hard, I get poor grades, which reinforces this identity of being bad at it. And it turns into this vicious circle. So what what I would, what I would think about you to do is like, what are the strategies that have made you, if you had to teach yourself, like you said, you love teaching other students. What are the strategies that you, that have made you really, really successful in math? And can you start applying those to writing to try to challenge this identity. Mm-hmm. I don't, what do you think? Is that helpful, not helpful? You're not going to hurt my feelings if you're like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it's just like, yeah, I've always come into English with always like a, a little bit of a worse attitude than math just because of what's happened in my past and how I was kind of not as good as all, you know, the other kids. I think it's just important for me to kind of go in, I think, 
like a with a blank mindset, not trying to think about how, oh, in the past, I haven't been that good. I almost act defensive when it comes to English. I took an easier mm. English class because I knew about my past and how I wasn't the best at English. If I had a clean mindset, I probably would have taken the harder English class because I always, I always like to try to challenge myself. But because of my past, I think I became more strategic about my classes and decided to take the easier English class because of what's happened. Yeah. And to me, like just based on talking to you, like you're a very clear communicator. You're very articulate, you're very direct, and you have a keen sense of what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, and so try to use that to your advantage. And you can be thinking about it too. Like if you're trying to do predictive forecasting or you wanna go and work in the stock market and you wanna you know, try to persuade people about what stocks they should or should not be buying, mm -hmm. writing is actually gonna be a core component of just about anything that you do. So right. um, yeah. I would try to treat it as a skill like that. But uh, mm -hmm. wrapping up there, I don't know how, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what this experience, what we did was like. And again, you're not going to hurt my feelings, but like, was this helpful? Was this interesting? Like, I'm just curious to hear your insights on the process that we just went through. I think, I think it was something, again, I told you when I walked into this, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but I think it was actually pretty helpful because of course you brought up things that I had no idea existed. You kind of made some connections that aren't the easiest, I will admit, but you notice patterns that even I myself won't notice. And I am myself, I should notice all of my patterns. <laughs> and I think it's just stuff like that. Like you, you kind of pick up on things that even though like I say them, I don't notice them myself. And I think that's kind of pretty important because of course my parents are great and all, but sometimes we kind of, but we all miss things. And I think you being like, and some random dude that I met an hour ago, <laughs> is it's kind of interesting because you kind of walked in with like I don't really know this kid but based off of what I've talked to you in this past hour I've kind of figured out this this and that and I think that's kind of interesting yeah well thank you and like you just saying that you recognize patterns about me that's like you just said what I do in a way that was very clarifying to me in a way that I hadn't articulated before so I appreciate it and just like mm -hmm. I'm authentic, genuinely impressed with just how deeply you think about things and how you view the world. Like most 16 year old young guys are just like completely self-centered and they're only focused on themselves. So, I mean, for you, I would just like, as long as you keep doing what you're doing and you keep pursuing what you're interested in and you don't limit yourself by the perceived lack of ability, mm -hmm. I'm very confident you're going to land on your feet no matter what you do. But um, I'm, I'm happy to talk with you about, like deeper dive on this too when we're not in a podcast setting as mm -hmm. well so thank you jeremy what do you think are you still there yeah yeah i'll i'll, I'll jump in for a sec here oh. it was i uh i, I just kind of got myself around the corner for a little bit so i wasn't in his line of, of vision just because i thought it might might help things and i think i think it did a little bit because but he he's he tends to be pretty open, you know. Even in, even in conversations that we have, he'll he'll actually step to me with, you know, challenges that he's going through, you know, just you know points of view in the world, emotional things. Like he's he's pretty good about just saying like I don't understand this thing. So you know, I I think with the things that you hit on with him about 
sort of staying staying curious or you know just even just kind of like diving in with cur- more curiosity to the things that he's recognizing through this through this process I think are super helpful and and it was it was it was interesting just to be on the sidelines like listening to certain things there are obviously a lot of things that I know about like his past and 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 he's as as you you know picked up he's he's young for his grade and yeah and oh, man. And, that, and that was that was a challenge early on you know uh, kindergarten and first grade uh, we there there were times where with you know we I got to the end of the school year and trying to figure out if if we should have him stay back a year but he was he was so good with like spatial reasoning and math and stuff so high level that you know we just kind of kept going and just got got him specialist help but you know th- like like he was saying like there are certain things that they do in terms of you know labels that they give you and this and the systems that they create they give you the sense without without it being verbal that you're that you're you know and he would say things to us like oh i'm not very smart at this or i'm really mm-hmm. stupid at this he would he would use words like that and at that point we actually had him work with the school they had a school counseling group of kids and i don't even do you, do you remember that phoenix no, I don't. I, I actually don't remember that. <laughs> and and it was it was interesting because he would come home from school, and say and what they would what they a lot of what they would do he was he was kind of self talking and he was like getting down on himself about things if he would like misread something in a, in class or whatever the teachers were recognizing this so, but in in this group they would what they were really doing was identifying their emotions and and then all of a sudden Phoenix was coming home from school saying. Dad, it really frustrates me when you say things like this, <laughs> which was great because then he was he was really you know he was able to identify the emotional you know things going on. So, you know, we we had him go through a lot of different kinds of things, and and as you can tell, he's he's very good verbally, and he was even really good verbally while he was having reading challenges. And I think that that can be confusing from t- for teachers as well because he's he's actually used really big words from a, a pretty young age I'm, I'm sure some of it is just like you know picking up what our our speaking styles and that kind of stuff but you know I, I do think that it, there was some translation going on and I think what you identified which, which is really important is that some of it is it can be a confidence issue that has nothing is not based in reality of actually how how good he is with words and with language so that was oh i think i think it's all i mean in my work i think 99 percent of it is confidence and perception honestly yeah because like i didn't well again i didn't realize that he was so young for his age so just like imagine a world phoenix in which you had a an entire year an additional year to go back and do that writing stuff would you be labeled still as like a quote unquote bad writer or reader back in the day, you know? Right. And, um, you know, and I think we're in this world too, where it's like, I really appreciate that conversation and Phoenix, like really diving into it with me because like we got to unpack the, the elements of fixed versus growth mindset on a really micro level that people don't really get to a lot. And like, we talk about fixed and growth mindset in education a lot, but then at the same time, the entire system promotes the idea of a fixed mindset or innate ability. Right. Like, you know, and so it's like we can say all these words like, oh, you can do it if you put your if you put effort into it. But then we're giving them grades. We're saying you're double A on reading. You know, we're labeling them. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's just a tough system we're in when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, I, you know. There, there were some there were some things from our last conversation that we had 
um, that I think as I was going through it, and I even even talked about it a little bit in the intro to our last podcast together, that this this is a process that we should all be going through on some level. And as an adult or as a you know an older person, even I, I feel like I'm I'm having these conversations even with my mother right now, who's who's seventy. You know, there there are there are some things that that we still haven't even identified for ourselves as we get older, or we forget. And to keep going mm-hmm. through this process on some level is is helpful to kind of keep you know bringing you back to your midline and figuring out, oh, am I am I a little off track here? I, I just think you know, and, and a lot of it is based in as I was trying to explain this to Phoenix ahead of time. You know, there's there's a whole language around the, the work that you're doing, and and a and a system that I think is is super important and should be part of our process a little bit more and i think our teachers should should even have more more education in it yeah and that in that like the purpose work would be like you know imagine a world in which phoenix could work with kids in math who had the same mindset that he had growing up and imagine if he's working with a kid who's been labeled I, you know, who has some label put on to him. Yeah. Imagine the power for Phoenix to be able to say, you know what? When I was in second grade, I almost got held back three times because I was also labeled the same as right. you. Yeah, like yeah. he would be able to, and I'll just be, you would be able to engage with a kid who's being put in a box academically in a way that I personally never could because I was never put into that box to the same degree you were. So it's like, it's like thinking about the challenges that you've gone through in life and you are an expert in being labeled in school. So how can you use that experience to help other people going through the same thing? And that would be purpose in action. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and to, to bring this around full circle in some ways, one of the reasons that I, I thought this would, would be an important thing. And we sort of started out, you know, this, this process talking about this, but it's it's important to bring an expert into this process, but I have one last question for you. I have a little curiosity. Did did you have a challenge that brought you into being able to do this kind of work from from your younger years? <laughs> That's a great question, and it's um, just to be honest. No, I had a like I grew up like upper middle class in Vermont with two very supportive family members. I went I was fine in high school. Like I was I don't know three five GPA. I, I kind of had no idea what I wanted to do. I literally was like, I like sports. I'll go study sports media yeah, and management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was literally the degree. Like, I went to college because of that. And you know what it was for me? It was I moved to Chicago and I start working in, in at a boys and girls club in a public housing development right at the start of the recession, the 2008 oh, recession. wow. So, you know, so I'm seeing it was like I had to, even though I had, I had so much privilege um, but I had to be exposed to systemic pro- uh, problems in the world. And that made me aware of my own privilege. And then it was when I was, when I stopped thinking about myself and me all the time yeah. and start thinking about how, what are other people going through? That's the thing that unlocked it for me. And so I just started doing a deep dive into why was I so lucky? Why, why did I get all these things? Why was I working with kids? who had all these challenges in their lives around housing, around crime, around unemployment that I didn't have to experience. That yeah. it, and it wasn't because of anything that I did well. I was just lucky. Yeah. And so it, it was like, to me, purpose comes from adversity or problems. So, you know, like purpose could come from 
Phoenix's bat. Like that could be the thing that propels him forward, or it can it it, it can come from uh, a recognition of privilege and a recognition of the advantages that you have that other people don't, and thinking of the idea: how can I use things that I have and my resources to help other people who might not have those things? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Does that answer your question? That does. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm I'm always interested to see where where people's passions sort of you know come from, and and it's something that I try to use in in the work that I do, even with therapy. Is if, if someone's if someone's been through some some adversity, either health wise or physically. I deal with a lot of orthopedic issues as well, but I also deal with people who have had traumatic pasts. There's there's something about going through uh, you know getting someone's story in the same kind of way that you did with Phoenix, that really helps me to, to direct the, the process a little bit more. So, you know, it, I, I like to get there with my guests on the show as well. Well, th- this was, this was great. Phoenix, you like, you were a super trooper through this whole thing. And just like, amazingly, I'm just super impressed with you, my friend. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. I mean, I, I, this, this, I think there, there'll be a lot of people, especially for, this particular time period, I think I, I'm kind of hoping to get this this episode out soon so that people can uh, and maybe, maybe we can kind of promote this through more youth channels so that people who are going through these struggles can hear this example and kind of understand what's what, you know, what what they can kind of peer into a little bit more for themselves. Totally. And there was so much in there, like Phoenix not knowing there's so much like follow up there, too, where it's like Phoenix not knowing that there's a writing center. It's like and not knowing not knowing these things, it's not Phoenix's fault at all, but we're, right. we're not talking to young people about like the nuts and bolts and logistics and the processes of college and what it has to offer. Right. And uh, so it's just like, we say go to college. We don't tell them why it works or how it's going to help them or why it's important. We just say go. Right. And, yeah, exactly. Phoenix is thinking, and Phoenix is thinking about the, the loans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and so it's like we shouldn't be surprised that kids are getting their relationship to college is changing because we're not doing a good job of explaining to them what college is and why it's important. Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox there, but that could be like <laughs> – Anyways, there's, I could go on and on. So. I, I I agree, and and I and I think there's there's another important part, which is kind of what I start, started out saying, is that, you know, times change, and it's 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 important to. I mean, you, you even kind of brought this up with Phoenix. Like we don't we don't know really what the you know five years ago I didn't know I was going to do a podcast. So, you know, that right. th- things things shift very very quickly, and as we're experiencing right now with COVID, like we we have to we have to sort of adjust to the, to the times. And, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to still ask all the, all those same basic questions that you're asking him. So I think this was, this was very well-timed. Great. Oh, last, last thing for you, Phoenix, where, um, like if you're into data analytics and you're into sports as well, I know for a fact that like when social media was first coming out, um, people on the internet just started tracking, collecting and tracking advanced analytics in all types of different sports. And they just started putting that stuff out there on the internet. They just started creating websites and podcasts, and they just started doing this to track interesting advanced analytics, especially in basketball. Um, and I know for a fact that those people, once they did that, they got scooped up and started working for professional sports teams. Yeah. And so, like, you can do just pursue what you're interested in and put it out there in the world, and then it'll come back to roost at some point, especially in. Who knows what the world's going to look like, like Jeremy just said. So. Yeah, 
Yeah. Anyway, I will hop off the soapbox there. I, I, uh, I think that's great advice, Tim. And, and, and thanks for taking the time to, to go through this with him, too. Really cool. Oh, yeah, I appreciate thanks. it. If you all have any questions or anything, don't hesitate to reach out if I can help with anything else. Okay, cool. Okay, thank you. All right, fellas. All I'll right. talk to you soon. How amazing was that? So impressed with the way Phoenix navigated the uncertainty of that experience. And a great way to showcase the the value of Tim's work with purpose. And so thankful that he offered to take Phoenix through this. I certainly gained a lot of insight as a parent from being an outsider listening in. And and I think it's going to be an amazing reference to have this recorded for Phoenix as we move through these next couple years and he prepares to enter college. Let me know what you thought of this topic and conversation. You can always reach me at jeremy at highway2.health. And if you could do me a favor, we're trying to put a lot more effort into broadening the outreach of this project. If you could take a moment here and scroll down the app that you're listening on right now and give us some stars and write maybe a a one or two line review um, that might lead someone to understand why you listen to these podcasts and their value to you. I would really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.